Welcome back, folks. Week 12 action up and coming. We're going to take a look back at week 11. And also on this week's episode, we're going to submit our Pro Bowl ballot as we discussed last week. So I apologize in advance. It took a little longer to get through it than what we were thinking. But it's a great episode. Make sure you hit subscribe. Tune in each week. But uh, let's jump right into it here. So getting right into our favorite storylines from the past week of uh, NFL action, we're just going to start it right off here with the first one. And the first storyline that falls under our category here for best storylines is going to be the Indianapolis Colts overtaking the Buffalo Bills. And I, I don't really know how else to describe this game, but as you're watching it happen, the Colts were just absolutely dominating the Buffalo Bills. And what's surprising to me is Bills are kind of known for having this great defense. And Jonathan Taylor just sliced and diced him up all night. Or excuse me, I should say all day. And he ends up finishing uh, on the day with five touchdowns, I believe it was. And he had 185 yards rushing to go along with 19 yards receiving, which was another touchdown. So five touchdowns total, over 200 scrimmage yards total. And the most surprising stat from all of it is Carson Wentz only threw for 106 yards and one touchdown. So essentially you won a football game by more than three scores against a team that's considered a Super Bowl favorite in many people's eyes by just completely dominating them on the ground, just completely winning on the ground. It wasn't even close. And really when you look at the time of possession, they that just screams volumes there as well too. It's 37 minutes and 47 seconds to 22 minutes and 13 seconds. So just complete domination by the Colts. They didn't turn the ball over. So they're plus four in the turnover battle. Uh, Josh Allen continues to have these turnover woes as the Bills were minus four in that in that category. So it, the panic button, is it's visible right now for the Bills. Uh, I wouldn't be too concerned yet, but you're, you're looking at back-to-back losses to the Jaguars and the Colts here. And they're having some serious problems in the AFC South. So the Colts get back on track and the Bills just can't seem to find their way. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how that shakes out down the road here. But big win for the Indianapolis Colts. Our second favorite storyline from the weekend's action is gonna be the the Chiefs are back and they're rolling and they rolled over the Cowboys. And the final score of that game is gonna be nineteen to nine for the Chiefs. And really they they kinda started off kind of hot coming out of the gate I believe it was um 12 to or excuse me 16 to 3 uh, at halftime and then the Cowboys kick a couple field goals in the second half and it's not quite as high scoring in the second half but regardless uh the Chiefs ended up out gaining the Cowboys 370 yards to 276 uh they beat them in both passing and rushing yards uh when you take a look at the time of possession it's pretty much almost even so they were sharing the time of possession and they end up winning the turnover battle at plus one. So they ended up having two turnovers. Cowboys had three. They barely edge them out there. But really, this is a this is a game I think everybody was thinking, crush the over on it, crush the over. It's going to be 40-something to 40-something, and it ends up being a very, a very low-scoring affair, uh, which is a little surprising to me. But nonetheless, uh, they still pull out the win. I know uh, Dak, Dak was less than stellar in this game. He ended up finishing with 216 yards and two picks. But I know they were, they were missing a ton of firepower on the Dallas Cowboys. You're missing Tyron Smith. You're missing Amari Cooper. They had a few defensive standouts that ended up not playing. And that when you're missing that many guys, it's just hard. It's hard to get it going on either side of the ball. It's not necessarily an excuse, but it's just stating something that 
really didn't help their outcome. And on the flip side, the Chiefs, uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire gets a little bit going on the ground. He end, ends up with 63 yards on 12 carries, just over five yards a carry. And you have a couple guys like Williams and Hill pitching in as well, too. But uh, once again, Mahomes souls for 260, but zero touchdowns, which continues to baffle me that he's he's not able to show out. Like last week, he has an absolute explosion against the Raiders. This week, he comes back to back to earth, which he has been all year. Uh, and still continues to turn the ball over every now and then as well, too. So it's something to monitor. But the Kansas City Chiefs really won this game with their defense, and they've looked a little bit better as of late, especially their pass-rushing duo with uh, Chris Jones, Frank Clark. So it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that going for the stretch because that's going to be huge because they can't always lean on this unbelievable offensive uh, explosion or output each week. And this week they didn't have to, so... The Chiefs end up getting back on track. Cowboys take a loss when they could have really capitalized on that Green Bay Packers loss as well, too. When you're taking a look at our third storyline here, and this one was one of the more surprising finishes that I've seen from the weekend, and it's going to be the Chargers over the Pittsburgh Steelers, 41-37. to So the Steelers are kind of known for being this this stout team on defense that isn't able to throw up the points like they used to. And the Chargers are this young up-and-coming team with Herbert under center that's really capable of doing anything on offense with a great defensive coach. So in my opinion, I thought that this was going to be a a low-scoring affair, and it ends up being an absolute offensive explosion. Uh, You take a look at the stats, the Chargers were head and shoulders above the Steelers in pretty much everything. They end up with 533 yards, uh, 370 on throwing it through the air, and then on the ground they had 159 and really, it, it was it was the Justin Herbert show. He ends up with 382 yards passing, three touchdowns and one pick, and 90 yards on the ground and leading the team on nine carries. Now, I understand that Austin Eckler had four of those touchdowns, but two were on the ground and two through the air. And, I mean, you don't get them without Herbert. And just Herbert has has been really a roller coaster at this point. He looks absolutely amazing one week, and then the next week he's he's making a couple boneheaded decisions. So it's... It's kind of the tale of two tapes with this guy, but, I mean, they get the win here. This is a huge win for them. Uh, the Steelers are considered a playoff team going into this week, and they kind of eke one out against a good defense, one that uh, you wouldn't really expect them to throw up, you know, 500-plus yards of offense against. On the flip side, I wasn't really expecting Big Ben to have, you know, 270 yards and three touchdowns. I kind of, If you would have told me they scored 37 points, I would have thought, Najee Harris is doing something kind of cool, and Ben had a couple screen passes. But that didn't seem to be the case. They ended up getting a ton of production from uh, Big Ben and kind of turned back the clock one more week here. He's, he's like two for like 10 here at this point where he's he's looked really good in weeks and then looked really bad in the others. So regardless, uh, this is a big game for what could be a, a big-time wildcard finish, and the Chargers kind of take a uh, head and shoulders lead over the Steelers here. So worth monitoring, but big win for the Chargers. Bringing us right to our fourth game of the week here. And our favorite storyline here is going to be the Minnesota Vikings outlast and the Green Bay Packers, where they won 34-31. to And um, just before overtime, the, the kick goes through as regulation expires. And really this game, it was a punch-for-punch punch battle. And really, it just kept te- or teetering back and forth. Mainly, Minnesota takes uh, 
pretty much the lead and holds it all the way into the fourth quarter. But then then they're trading blows in the fourth quarter, and the Packers come back and take the lead for a short amount of time. And really, it, when you look at the box score too, it, it kind of tells the same tale. There's no turnovers in the game. Uh, Green Bay outgains Minnesota 467 yards to 408. Time of possession is pretty even. Uh, Minnesota gets the slight edge there with 31 minutes to the Green Bay Packers 29 minutes. And they actually ended up having more first downs than the Packers as well too. And really, the name of this game is is going to be special teams and in, in capitalizing on some of these field goals. And I've, I've watched a lot of Packers games in the in the past here, and that's that's obviously because I'm a big Packers fan. But the, they got to figure out what's going on here in Green Bay with these field goals, like whether it's this new snapper they have, or if it's the hold, or if it's Crosby himself. Uh, I know we don't want to believe it. The guy's like 38 years old. And he's been in the league forever. But they got to figure it out here because it's starting to cost them football games. Because in the first half, he makes a 51-yarder, and then he misses his next attempt. And that ends up being the difference here. If, if you add a field goal onto their score, you're looking at a 34-34 game. And I know I said there was no turnovers, but there was about three different times too as well. Green Bay defense could have had a pick on Kirk Cousins where it was right in Darnell Savage's hands. And they end up dropping them all. Or I know there's one call is a controversial call, but it shouldn't come down to one play. So the opportunity was there for the Green Bay Packers to win this one. They didn't do themselves any favor on the defensive side of the ball, and they kind of came crashing back to earth on that side. But uh, on the flip side of things, uh, Dalvin Cook looks solid. He has 86 yards with a touchdown. Uh, Kirk Cousins as well had 341 yards and three touchdowns, no turnovers. And then Justin Jefferson lit it up. He had over 100 yards in the first quarter and ended up finishing with eight receptions, 169 yards, and two touchdowns. So the Vikings get a huge win, one that they really needed to kind of stay in the thick of it in the, the playoff picture. And the Packers ended up losing a tough one here on the road. Uh, they're going to get the Vikings back at their place here in, a, in about a month or so here to finish out the season. But this is one that they're going to definitely wish that they could have get back or could have had back. So Minnesota sneaks away 34-31. And then for our last storyline here on the on the slate of games that we ended up watching is going to be uh it's going to be one that was very surprising to I think just about everybody that was found along with the game. And it's going to be the Houston Texans taking down the AFC Power and the Tennessee Titans 22 to 13. So just starting off here the Texans only had one win coming into this game. Uh, they were only ahead of the Detroit Lions for the worst record in the league. And they end up coming in and beating the number one seed in the AFC. So I just, just to put that in perspective here, I know it's a division rivalry game, but this Houston Texans team has not been good at football through the first half of the season. And they took down the best team in the AFC. And I know uh, the Tennessee Titans have been dealing with a lot of injuries, but they've, they've been winning football games against good football teams, but they end up dropping one to the Houston Texans. So the Tennessee Titans ended up outgaining the Houston Texans 420 to 190 yards. With it, while the time of possession was pretty much even, Texans ended up with 29 and a half minutes. Uh, Tennessee Titans were with 30 and a half minutes. So in that regard, they almost tripled their output here on offense. But the name of the game is going to be turnovers, and it's going to be five Tennessee turnovers to Houston zero. So I didn't necessarily watch this game all that close, but apparently weather was a huge factor in this one, and it was just a matter of who took care of the ball better. And in this one, it turns out Houston was able to take care of the ball better. 
Uh, Tyrod Taylor was efficient. Uh, obviously, there was not a huge offensive output in this game, but doesn't turn the ball over, takes care of the ball, and does just enough to win the football game. And on the flip side, Ryan Tannehill definitely did not take care of the football, and he's one of the main reasons that you're going to see them take a hit this week. It's going to be 323 yards, one touchdown, four interceptions. So I still believe they are sitting at top of the AFC with an 8-3 and three record, but having a loss like this on your on your record here is going to be it's, it's one that's hard to overlook. It's one that raises a lot of eyebrows, and you can say all you want that they're missing their weapons, but this is one that we're going to come back to. Uh, hopefully we can get Derrick Henry back here soon because that changes the entire outcome and the entire forecast of this team. It just They're that much better when he's on the field. He's one of the biggest difference, different, excuse me, difference makers in the league, and I think it's really been able to show through the last few games here. So that's going to be our final storyline, the Houston Texans taking down the Tennessee Titans. For our honorary unlikely hero of the week, the Jameis Winston Award, we went to a, a different route here, and necessarily the stat line isn't one that's going to jump off at you when you're taking a look at it. But when you take into context kind of what went down in order to, to get to this game, it's it's quite impressive what happened on Sunday. And our unlikely hero of the week here is going to be Tyler Huntley, uh, quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. Tyler Huntley was formerly a undrafted free agent out of Utah. He came to the Baltimore Ravens as a third-string quarterback, ends up making the roster, and supplants uh, Trace McSorley as the number two. Uh, Trace McSorley now out of town with the Arizona Cardinals this past week, and Huntley's kind of taken over as that number two quarterback for the Ravens. And on Sunday, we heard all week that Lamar Jackson was kind of dealing with this virus, not COVID, and he wasn't. they weren't sure if he was going to be able to play, and uh, ends up not going on Sunday. It was a last-minute call. So to, to begin with, we don't know how many reps necessarily Huntley's getting in practice. I'm assuming he got a good fair share if Lamar wasn't participating in practice. But they had that in their minds all week that Tyler, or excuse me, that Lamar Jackson was going to try to go. And when he doesn't go, now you got to step up. And the stat line, like I said, isn't going to be the greatest. He finished with 219 yards, uh, zero touchdowns, one interception, and ended up taking a bunch of sacks. But on the ground, too, he was their second leading rusher, and it wasn't by very much. Ends up finishing with seven carries, 40 yards, with a 5.7-yard average. And when you think about it as well, too, here, he's dealing without his number one weapon here. Marquise Brown, um, Hollywood Brown, is their best receiver. He's one of the best receivers, if you look at the numbers, this in the NFL. He's top 10, top 15 in most statistical categories. But he's going into this game without his number one weapon, going against actually a, a fairly good defense here in Chicago that that's played above what they're normally capable of on, on a week-to-week basis. And you you got a head coach that's playing for his job, really. Matt Nagy can't lose football games. And Huntley comes in and is efficient and manages this game and gets him down the field, and they get a win. They get a huge win when nobody thought that they were going to win this football game. Honestly, they, there's people talking about having these guys mail it in before the week even started. And Tyler Huntley dispels all of that nonsense, goes out here and gets a hard-fought battle, and they win this one. And it, it was huge for the Baltimore Ravens in the playoff standings. I believe they're the number two seed in the AFC after this win. And this is going to be huge moving forward, especially with some of the Tennessee Titans struggles. So hats off to Tyler Huntley stepping up in a big way on a short notice for the Baltimore Ravens, and he's going to be our unlikely hero of the week this week.
for picks this week, we came back to or I suppose I should reflect on last week before we look ahead to this week. And we came back to earth last week. We did a lot better, uh, as I expected. It was nine and six was our record after the slate of games last week. So let's keep it rolling on into this week. And we're going to start off with a few Thursday games. And the first Thursday game is going to be the Bears at the Detroit Lions. And the Bears are an absolute mess. There's a lot of rumors flying around out there that Dan Campbell, or excuse me, Dan Campbell, that Matt Nagy is going to be on the chopping block, that he's this is his last game as a Chicago Bears coach. So there's where there's a lot of, there's a lot of smoke, there's got to be fire. So not sure what's happening there. But I, I like the Detroit Lions here at home uh, on Thanksgiving. I think that this is going to be the most unwatchable game all week. I already seen at least one or one or two tweets out of there on on Twitter about, oh hey, this I don't want to hear about how everybody's going to complain about this one. So I'm rolling with the Lions over the Bears. I think that we're going to see Matt Nagy get uh, showing the door before the press conference even starts. So for the mid afternoon game for Thursday night is going to be the Raiders at the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys put up a valiant effort against the Kansas City Chiefs despite missing most of their offense and most of their defense. So I really like what they can bring to the table. I know that they're still going to be missing a couple guys. Uh, I think that they're going to get this one at home over the Raiders. The Raiders are kind of reeling. Uh, I think that they've given their best shot, and after that they have not much left now. So I'm I'm going to take the Cowboys, I believe, at home over the Raiders here. And I think Dak's going to get it right. He's going to throw for a bunch on Thanksgiving as the, the Cowboys always show up there on Thursdays. And then the night game on Thursday, it's going to be the Buffalo Bills at the New Orleans Saints. And the Buffalo Bills are almost on the outside looking in for the AFC playoff race. Uh, the Saints as well also on the outside looking in for the NFC playoff race pretty much at this point. So this is going to be a really important showdown for a lot of people. It seems like Alvin Kamara is not going to play for the Saints. Trevor Simeon's come crashing back to earth as a average, below average quarterback. And Taysom Hill is signing huge extensions for what position, nobody's sure exactly. So I'm going to take the Bills. I think there's a little bit more stability there. There's, a, there's an easier route to win, I believe, for them. I think that the defense is going to get, they're going to get right this week after getting absolutely embarrassed by Jonathan Taylor. And Josh Allen's got to do a better job of taking care of the ball, which hopefully they can try to lean on a little bit more of the running game and kind of try to limit some of his shots and keep reel him in a little bit, make sure he's playing a little bit more mistake-free football as they make a playoff push here. Next up's going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Indianapolis Colts. And this is another sneaky good game on Sunday. But I think I'm going to roll with the Tampa Bay, excuse me, I'm going to go with the home team. I'm going to go with the Indianapolis Colts. I'm going to buy into the hype here. I think that uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have some fatal flaws sometimes on defense. Vita Vea, I know, has been shaken up the last few weeks. That's going to really limit them in the defensive run game. And the Colts are monsters on the run. They, they can run the ball on just about anybody right now. And as long as Carson Wentz doesn't turn the ball over, uh, which I, I don't see a lot of opportunities for this Buccaneers uh, secondary. I think that the Colts can really hang with them, and getting the nod at home here is going to be huge for them as well. So for the runner-up for a game that might be the most unwatchable this week, uh, <laughs> didn't quite make the break for the, the Thursday night, but it's going to be the Jets at the Houston Texans, and this game is going to be an absolute uh, dirt fest. I don't know where to go with this one at all. 
Uh, you get the Houston Texans who beat the Tennessee Titans. And then you also get the New York Jets who beat the Tennessee Titans. It sounds like Zach Wilson's going to try to make a goal for the New York Jets. Uh, even though he's been shaking up the last few weeks. Uh, I like that opportunity for the Texans. He likes to throw the ball around the yard. Uh, there's going to be some picks out there for him. And as long as Tyrod Taylor can be efficient and they can try to lean on a couple of these running backs that they got back there, I think the Texans might be able to pull this one out, especially at home. So I'm going to roll the Houston Texans over the New York Jets. In the NFC East showdown for the noon slate, there's going to be the Philadelphia Eagles at the New York Giants. And when I'm taking a look at this one, the new, it's a tale of two teams here. You got the New York Giants who are kind of flailing, not sure where they're at in the league. And you got the, the Philadelphia Eagles who are kind of surging at this point. And Jalen Hurts is really, he's really taking this offense right by the, the horns here. And he's, he's kind of rolling with it. I, I really like what the Eagles can do in the ground game too. They've done a really good job of keeping Jordan Howard involved, Miles Sanders, and uh, even Boston Scott as well. So I think I'm going to roll with the Philadelphia Eagles here over the New York Giants just because I'm not sure what the New York Giants are. I'm not sure if Danny Dimes can take care of the ball. And that defense hasn't looked quite like they have in the years past here uh, in 2020. So for the next game, we're taking a look at the Carolina Panthers at the Miami Dolphins. And really, the, the tale of this game is going to be, I think that it's going to be a defensive battle. you got a really great young defense in the Panthers. you got a an up-and-down defense with the Miami Dolphins. And the Dolphins got a win last week, and the Panthers take a tough loss to the Washington football team, who was a team I thought that they should have handled. And Cam came in on a short week, so he'll have another week under his belt here, learn a little bit more of the playbook. But I don't know if it's going to be enough. I think this Miami Dolphins team is, is kind of finding their way here. Like I said, I always believed in this team in the preseason. And I think they're finally starting to, to find it. And look out now, they, they're making a little bit of a push. And in a winnable game at home for them, I'm taking the Dolphins over the Panthers. In a great showdown here, this is going to be a battle for one of the one seeds here in the AFC. It's going to be the Patriots, or excuse me, Titans at the Patriots. And really, the Titans lose a, a real tough divisional showdown last week. And now they're coming into Foxborough, where they're playing a team that's much, much, much better on defense. And I don't know if they're going to be able to withstand what the Patriots are going to bring them. Because if you thought Houston was bringing the heat, you thought that that game was going to be tough. This one's going to be even tougher, just because of how efficient and how great they are on offense at maintaining the clock and keeping the ball in their hands. They turn it over to their defense, and then they're just an absolute juggernaut on that side of the ball. So I really like the Patriots at home against the Titans. I'm rolling with that one. Right on into the next game, it's going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Cincinnati Bengals. And another divisional showdown here. I believe the Bengals got the best of them in the first matchup. And last week, uh, valiant effort by Big Ben in the offense for the Steelers. They threw up 37 points on the, on the Chargers. But uh, this is this is something that the Bengals have been doing week in and week out is throwing up you know, 30, 40 points. And I really think that they could do it again. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how healthy T.J. Watt is, how effective he can be, because he's going to be one of the X factors in this game. If they can really put a lot of pressure on Joe Burrow, I think that this game will be a lot closer. But I'm still taking the Bengals either way over the Pittsburgh Steelers. I just don't believe in that Steelers offense. And I think that Bengals defense is, is better than than advertised as of late. 
the the full the slate this weekend is full of unwatchable games and just here's another one with the Atlanta Falcons at the the Jacksonville Jaguars. Atlanta Falcons at Jacksonville Jaguars. It's a showdown of four and six to two and eight. And I'm not exactly sure how the Falcons won four games because they've put up about three points in the last two weeks and the point differential is over fifty points of what they lost by. And I don't know if the Jacksonville Jaguars have done that all season. So Falcons are a little bit reeling here. Not exactly sure who who your playmakers are on offense other than Kyle Pitts. He's a huge difference maker. But other than that, there's there's just nobody here. And when you look at the defense, they might be even worse. So I'm going to actually take the Jacksonville Jaguars here at home. I think that they can get another win under the belt here for Urban Meyer. I think that they can take advantage of a Falcons team that really doesn't have an identity right now and is really struggling to stay in football games. So to give me the Jacksonville Jaguars over to Falcons. For the first afternoon game on Sunday, it's going to be the Los Angeles Chargers at the Denver Broncos. Another divisional showdown here. Not sure what what the Broncos team we're going to be seeing here. Uh, Not sure what Chargers team we're going to be seeing here. Are we going to see the Chargers that hangs tough and it plays with teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers? How are we going to see them trip and fall flat on their face like they have in weeks past? Uh, same thing with the Broncos. Are we going to get the Broncos team that beats the snot out of the Dallas Cowboys? Are we going to see the same Broncos team that can't engineer offense and can't score points like they have for much of the season? I believe a little bit more in the quarterback room for the Los Angeles Chargers, so that's why I'm going to go that route. But it, this should be a pretty solid game. It should be a good defensive showdown. Uh, teams that don't get enough defensive credit and should get a little bit more. So I'm I'm rolling Chargers over the Broncos, which leads us into probably the game of the week this week. It's going to be the Los Angeles Rams at the Green Bay Packers. And the Green Bay Packers take a tough loss at the Minnesota Vikings. I know that they were a little bit beat up, and they end up losing Elton Jenkins, which is a lot more important piece uh, with David Bakhtiari being out. And really, uh, the Rams are coming off a of bye week. They're going to get Odell up to speed. They're going to have all these guys now that are up to speed. They know the full playbook. And they can really put on a, a full-court press against the Green Bay Packers. So I'll be interested to see. I think this one might be a little bit of a shootout. I think the, the Green Bay Packers defense came crashing back to earth and got a little exposed last week. And I think Aaron Rodgers just has been able to eat up the, the Los Angeles Rams the last few years. And their run game should be able to really kind of stifle that pass rush on that side of the ball. So I'm give me the Green Bay Packers until they give me a reason not to believe in them. I'm going to take them, and I'm going to take them in every close game just because I think Aaron Rodgers is head and shoulders better than just about every quarterback in this league other than maybe Patrick Mahomes. So Packers over the Rams. And another pretty solid showdown here. We're getting the Minnesota Vikings at the – or excuse me, San Francisco 49ers. And the Vikings get a tough, hard-fought win against the Green Bay Packers last week. 49ers get a surging victory over the Jacksonville Jaguars. So we got both teams coming off a win. So what's the tail of the tape going to be here? I think the 49ers are going to play a lot better ball control offense than the Minnesota Vikings. I think they're much more built for late-season football. They're able to run the ball extremely efficiently, and I think that's kind of where the Packers got exposed last week. I think that they're going to set up some of the pass game with some of the run game here. So I'm going to actually roll the 49ers at home over the Vikings. I think that uh, it's going to be a little bit of a letdown uh, loss for the Minnesota Vikings. And I think the 49ers 
are going to finally get rolling here and really make a solid playoff push before the end of the season. And the night game on Sunday, we get another divisional showdown. It's going to be the Cleveland Browns at the Baltimore Ravens. Sounds like Lamar Jackson's going to be back for this one. They're not 100% sure just yet. He's really getting hit hard by uh, this flu virus or something that's not COVID-related. But I think if Lamar plays, this is the Ravens game to lose. I think that this this Cleveland team is has kind of hit their kryptonite as of late. They, they're kind of being exposed. They're kind of really f- struggling to even get out of the gates here. And, and Baker just doesn't look like himself. I know he's got a ton of injuries. I think it's just time to sit this guy down and let him get healthy if, if you plan on doing anything in the playoffs. So give me the Ravens over the Cleveland Browns. And then the last showdown... Um, one that nobody's probably going to watch on Monday night. It's going to be the Seattle Seahawks at the Washington football team. So the Seattle Seahawks lose another tough one last week to the Kyler Murrayless Arizona Cardinals. And when I'm taking a look at this one, I I don't even know where to start. I I th- I, I want to go with the Seahawks. I think I'm going to go with the Seahawks here just because Russ Wilson, every week that goes by, he gets a little bit better. And it's it's a quarterback-driven league, and when you got Russell Wilson versus Taylor Heineke, I'm pretty sure who I trust. No, I know who I trust a little bit more. And that Washington defense has looked extremely vulnerable the last few weeks. So give me the Seattle Seahawks over the Washington football team. So as promised uh, for our extra segment this week, I wanted to go into a true Pro Bowl ballot here and basically submit ours in for the running. And basically what that would mean is, is I'm going to go online and how they do it now is you don't go AFC, NFC. So you get six positional votes per position. So what I'm going to do is split them right down the middle. So if they give you six votes, I'll go three NFC, three AFC. If they give you four votes, it'd be two and two. So I'll make sure I split it up and give equal love to both sides of both conferences. And I'm just going to basically do it how I would vote for the players if my vote counted extra for some reason. So it's just going to be my discretion, my ideas, uh, my reasoning why. Uh, I'm not saying it's all all as well, ends well, is the all be all as well. But this is what I would do and this is what my ballot's going to be. So first off, we're going to start off with the quarterbacks. And for the quarterbacks... Our first selection is going to be Tom Brady. I went with uh, just mainly because he's been absolutely lighting it up. He's actually number two in yards right now, and I believe he's leading the league in touchdown passes, which is pretty miraculous regardless of age. So Tom Brady is going to get the nod from me here as the first quarterback in the NFC and Buccaneers quarterback. Our second quarterback in the NFC is going to be Matthew Stafford. He's had this huge resurgence underneath uh, Sean McVay as soon as he went out west here to play for the Rams. It's clearly evident that uh, his skill set is able to maximize that offense there. I really think that we're getting the best of Matt Stafford, and he's really been able to show it here. Uh, In terms of passing yardage, I believe he's fourth in the league right now just behind Tom Brady, Mahomes, and Carr, and he's at about 3,014 yards. His 24 touchdown passes are good enough for like third or fourth in the league as well too. So that's why that's going to be good enough to get him on my ballot every time. And then I kind of went a different direction here with our third quarterback. And really uh, his stats are kind of lagging behind because he's missed a game or two. But I, I went Dak Prescott. I think Dak Prescott really is one of the best quarterbacks in the league this year. When we take a look at his numbers, 2,557 pass yards, 
he's right in the thick of it there if he doesn't miss excuse me one or two games so really uh Dak Prescott I think is a is a great selection here and he's really showing that he's really worth every single penny that Dallas paid him this offseason so that's going to round out our NFC ballot for the quarterbacks on the AFC side I ended up going with uh, Patrick Mahomes Uh, he's currently leading the league in passing yardage He's got 25 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Those touchdowns are enough to get him to number two in the league. Uh, his interceptions are a little bit up this year. He's not taking care of the ball as well he has in the past, but he still is the driving force behind that offense in the AFC. So he's going to get the nod here for my first quarterback spot. Uh, the second quarterback spot that I went with is going to be Lamar Jackson. Uh, Lamar Jackson is one of the most unique talents that I think we've ever seen in the league here and should be on this ballot every year that he's healthy. And I think it really showed last week when he didn't play uh, how much he was really missed in that offense. So Lamar Jackson throwing for 2,400, 2,500-ish yards, somewhere in there, really taking that second spot. But it's really what he brings as a runner as well, too. Uh, He's one of the tops in the league. Uh, He's just got crazy numbers. He's got, excuse me, I had it just pulled up here. He's currently sitting at... I apologize. I thought I had this sorted. 639 yards on only 106 attempts. So if you do the math, that's about six yards to carry. So he's got top 10 rushing stats in the league to go with top you know, 10 passing stats in the league, which is pretty impressive. So that's why he's getting the nod from me there as well. And then our last quarterback that we went with is going to be Justin Herbert. So Justin Herbert has really ascended this year, especially early on in the league, uh, on how important he is in that Chargers offense. And really, he, he's top five in the league in passing yardage. He ends, he's currently sitting at 2,900, excuse me, 2,927 yards, 22 touchdowns. He's got a 99 passer rating. He's got 207 yards on the ground, uh, combined with a couple touchdowns there as well, too. And really... I, I think when you watch that game last week against the Steelers, you can just really see how brilliant this guy is. You can see how great of a talent he is, and he's really making his presence known. He's really kind of taking control of that offense there underneath Brandon Staley. And excuse me, and uh, Lombardi there, the the offensive coordinator. And I'm really curious to see like where his ceiling is here with this with this changing coaching staff, just because he's looked absolutely astounding at times, and he's looked not quite as great and he's still with some of these not quite as great games still in the top five and most of the major passing statistics so I think he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league and he's definitely getting the nod on my ballot here so that brings us to the running backs so the running backs we got six votes again and for the first running back that I selected and this is pretty easy is uh Jonathan Taylor Uh, he's currently the only or excuse me uh, the leading rusher in the NFL. He's got 1,122 yards, uh, 13 touchdowns, and he is really that Colts offense. It, it begins and it ends with Jonathan Taylor. So I think he was pretty easy. He was a shoe-in for, for my ballot here. The second AFC running back I went with, and the only reason I selected this guy was because the option to select Derrick Henry wasn't there. So There's going to be a placeholder here for Derrick Henry, but the next guy I had selected is Joe Mixon. Uh, Joe Mixon is another one of those guys that he's a a real dynamic talent. I know he's currently behind Nick Chubb, 
in rushing yardage. But really what, what gave me the nod is his ability as a receiver out of the backfield, which gives him a little bit extra added uh, points there, in my opinion. So I went with Joe Mixon as the next running back. And as I said, the third AFC guy, it won't let me select it on the ballot here. But if I'm selecting my ballot, there's no way I'm leaving Derrick Henry off. I mean, I think the guy's still top five in the league in rushing yardage, and he's missed like three games so far. He literally is the best running back, and he's one of the best talents we've seen in the league in the last 20 years. Uh, I really think that he, he would still be outpacing Jonathan Taylor if he would not have missed any games. But there's no way I'm leaving that guy off my ballot. So he's going to be the last AFC running back, regardless if I can select him or not. Which takes us over to the NFC side of things. And the first guy I'm going to take is going to be uh, Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook is currently the NFC leader in rushing yardage, 734 yards. He's got four touchdowns. And really, it, this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I think he's kind of like what makes that offense go there in Minnesota. They really use the run for a lot of different things there. And when he's really have, when he's really on and he's really to, able to get after it, kind of in that outside zone scheme they run, is when Kirk Cousins looks his best and he's able to dish the ball to some of those receivers. So the main fact that he's one of the top guys in the league here in yardage and touchdowns is really a testament to how important he is to that offense. So I'm going Dalvin Cook. Then the next guy is, he's having a good bounce back year here. It's, it's going to be Ezekiel Elliott, Ezekiel Elliott. And really he's sitting at 695 yards, seven touchdowns, and he kind of had his worst season of his career last year. A lot of guys thought he was starting to fall off, and he, he's kind of responded really well. And uh, I know the offensive line is a big part of that. Dak is a huge part of that as well. But I think we still got to give some some credit to Ezekiel Elliott when it's due. And I really think he's one of the, the better running backs that's really showed out in the league this year, and he's really showing how important he is to that offense between him and Tony Pollard. So Ezekiel Elliott's going to get our number two spot on the ballot. And the last one was a, a guy I kind of went – when everybody's digging, I'm – I decided I wanted a zag, and I went with DeAndre Swift. Uh, DeAndre Swift, I think, is one of the most talented running backs in the league, and I think we've really been able to see what his ability is as soon as uh, Dan Campbell's kind of helped take over some of these play-calling duties. And he's currently sitting at 555 yards, and he's still sharing carries with Jamal Williams. So he's still missing out a lot of these rushing opportunities, but I think what really sets him apart is going to be Ooh, excuse me, his ability in the passing game. He's actually one of the more dynamic threats in the league as a running back out of the backfield. And he's currently sitting at, oh, excuse me, I thought I had the season stats pulled up here. But uh, he's currently sitting at 420 yards and two touchdowns, which he's already outpaced his yardage from last year. And he's already got more receptions as well, too. And we're only half, I mean, 10 games into this thing here. He's got seven more games. This guy is a, a legitimate threat to knock on the door of 2,000 scrimmage yards. And I think that's just a true testament to how talented he really is. And giving him the nod over guys like Alvin Kamara and Aaron Jones, I think is a big deal. And I think that that really shows you how much I really believe in this guy. So that takes us over to the wide receiver side of things. Once again, they're going to go a six. So we went three and three from each side of the each conference and the first one up is going to be the nfc and i went with cooper cup i think this was a no-brainer this year he's the leading receiver in the nfl i believe he's also leading in receiving touchdowns he's sitting there with 100 1141 yards and 10 touchdowns he's got 85 receptions he's 
clear in a way taking a huge leap this year and really showing that he belongs in that top tier of wide receivers. Next up is going to be Devontae Adams. And Devontae Adams continually draws praise as the best receiver in the league due to his, his ability to really beat people off the line of scrimmage with his footwork. But he's getting consistently double covered, consistently bracketed in the NFL here, and he's still able to show up with 72 receptions, 979 yards, and five touchdowns. So this is a guy that they know is getting the ball, and he's still getting the ball, and he's still being extremely effective with it. So that's why he's going to end up on number two in our ballot here. And the number three receiver in the NFC, and this might be a little bit of a, I don't know, I don't think it's really a hot take. Uh, Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel has been an absolutely electric playmaker for that 49ers offense. They have so many different ways that they use him, whether it's handoffs out of the backfield, uh, screen passes, just getting him in the ball in space. Uh, It's truly a testament to how creative Kyle Shanahan is as a play caller. And the fact that he's sitting at 994 yards and five touchdowns right now is is huge. Uh, he's, a, he's a deep play threat as well, too. He's got 19 yards per catch and only 55 receptions. So I think we're really going to be able to see how his role evolves over time and this, as teams try to figure it out. But right now they just seem to have it, and that's why Debo Samuel's on our list here. Flipping over to the AFC side of things, it's going to be Tyreek Hill is our first guy. And Tyreek Hill really is a, a, a perennial guy here on the Pro Bowl list. This is a guy that is a bona fide deep threat. He's a bona fide yak guy. He, he just he does everything you ask him to. And he, he does it all while being one of the fastest guys in the NFL year in and year out. He's currently sitting at 932 yards, eight touchdowns. And really, he's he's the best receiver in the AFC. So that's why he gets on our list here. And the number two receiver for the AFC side of things is going to be Jamar Chase. Uh, really, I was kind of shocked. I was kind of trying to look like, man, there's got to be a guy that's not Jamar Chase that deserves this number two spot. But when you look at it, he's he's got 867 yards and only 47 catches. The guy is averaging right around almost 20 yards a catch and eight touchdowns. Like, this guy is really changing games. He's really adding a whole other layer to that Cincinnati offense that we haven't seen before. So I think... I think he sh- he deserves to be the number two receiver on this list, and I definitely think he's one of the best talents in the league. And the third receiver, the final one, is going to end up being Stephon Diggs here. Stephon Diggs had a huge breakout year last year, and really he's carried it over to this year. He's really shown that he deserves to be that top threat in uh, th- that Buffalo Bills offense. Uh, not a lot of guys are able to separate like he is, and have hands and are a deep threat like he is as well too and he really he can do it all for that Buffalo offense he's a really big time safety blanket for Josh Allen and that's going to put him at number three for the AFC receivers on our list so that takes us over to fullbacks and I know they want me to select three here I think they only got like 12 available to you so I just went ahead and just selected one guy from each conference and the first guy I took is uh, Patrick Ricard. And this guy is an absolute behemoth. He's, I think he's listed at like 6'3", like 300-some pounds at playing fullback. And uh, he, he doesn't make a ton of plays, but he's extremely impactful as a blocker, as you would think for a guy that's 300 pounds. I know a couple weeks back on one of the primetime games, uh, he really showed out. He had a couple big carries, a couple big catches on the drive and really showed his value there. But uh, I think that... You have a fullback on the field that can move like this guy and has his size. I think that is deserving of being the best fullback in the league. 
or at least in the AFC. And that takes us to the NFC fullback, and that's going to be Kyle Juszczyk. And Kyle Juszczyk for the Saints, for San, excuse me, San Francisco 49ers is shown that he is a valuable asset in that offense. He's got a bunch of different roles. He's got a, diff- a bunch of different uh, abilities in that offense to really split out, be this H guy, be this motion guy, be this short yardage back, be the receiver out of the backfield. He's extremely dynamic, and he's a talent at the fullback position. Now, we don't get to see a lot, so that's why I think he deserves to be on this ballot year in and year out. And that's going to take us to the tight ends. So tight end, they're going to give us, once again, three on each side of the ball. Or excuse me, three on in each conference. So I'm going to start off with the AFC here, and I went with Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is going to be the number one tight end on this list, in my opinion, regardless of AFC or NFC. Uh, he he's truly a dynamic talent. He's a probably the best receiving tight end we've seen in the last you know five to ten years since maybe like Tony Gonzalez or Antonio Gates. And really, he he just does it like very consistently. I know he had a couple rough outings this year, but he's really come on as of late. He's got 67 catches, 821 yards, and five TDs. And I just think that when you have his ability to split out and play in line like he does, I think it just it's a game changer at the tight end position. Which brings us to our next guy here. It's going to be another AFC guy. It's going to be Mark Andrews, currently sitting at 696 yards on 56 receptions with four TDs. And really... He's been the most reliable target for Lamar Jackson. I know Hollywood Brown's been the most effective, but this guy right here has been the most reliable. He's that middle-of-the-field uh, vertical seam threat that Lamar loves to hit and really is one of them guys that they are able to move the chains with in the middle of the field. And I think he's shown that he's one of the most valuable tight ends in the league. It's going to get him our number two spot in the AFC. Which brings us to our last tight end in the AFC, it's going to end up being Darren Waller, and I really think that Darren Waller is the driving force behind this Oakland offense. He is the best receiver. He's the best playmaker on that team, and really he's one of the most important people for Derek Carr. And I, I really think when he gets going, this is when this offense gets going, and they're extremely reliant on him. Uh, he's one of the biggest difference makers in the league, and that's why I wanted to get him, make sure I got him here on the ballot and as our number three tight end. Flipping over to the NFC side of things, uh, the, the first guy added to the list here, and maybe a surprise to some, we haven't seen the touchdown projection that I think that we were expecting, but Kyle Pitts. Uh, Kyle Pitts has proven that he's been one of the most dynamic threats as a tight end, even as a rookie. He's sitting at 635 yards on 43 catches and one touchdown. Like I said, not the touchdown production you're expecting, but this is a guy that's getting looked or excuse me, this is a guy that Matt Ryan's looking his way early and he's looking often and he's really making a difference for that offense that's really in desperate need of playmakers. So we're going to get him that number one spot on our list. The number two tight end on our list here is I went with Dallas Goddard. I think that he's the number one receiving threat in Philly right now. I know Devontae Smith looked really good at times, but I still think that when it comes crunch time and Jalen Hurts is looking for a guy to go to, I think he's going to Goddard. Uh, probably you know seven eight times out of ten and he's really been reliable when he's been on the field I know he's had a couple injuries this year and he signed that big extension this year too so he gets paid but I really think that this is this is his time to shine now that they got Zach Ertz out of town and I really think he's going to step up to the role in a big way and he already has so far this year so Dallas Goddard number two on our list 
And the final tight end that I'm going to roll with here for our ballot is going to be George Kittle. So George Kittle missed a good chunk of time this year, but he's really been super impactful ever since he got back from injury. He's I think he scored a couple times in the last two weeks, so at least two touchdowns. And really his effect on the game extends beyond a receiver. This is a guy you're seeing run dudes like Von Miller down and put him, just bury him in the dirt. And on a pretty consistent basis, he's doing these things. He's they're they're manning him up in the run game, one on one with DNs, and he's able to hold his own and if not win that matchup most of the time. So George Kittle, big time receiver, big time blocker, does it all for you at tight end, gets us to the number three tight end on our list for the NFC. And that leaves us with only left with the offensive line. So first up for the tackles, it's going to be the NFC tackles. And I went with Teron Armstead. Uh, he's one of the best tackles in the league year in and year out. I know he's getting up there a little bit in age, but he's the, one of the main reasons that the Saints continue to win football games, even though they don't really necessarily always have the most competent guy under center. So Teron Armstead really anchoring that offensive line for the New Orleans Saints. I'm going to continue in the NFC here, and we're going to go to the number two spot. It's going to be Trent Williams, and Trent Williams signed a huge deal this offseason uh, as the highest paid, I believe, offensive tackle in the league, and really, he's he's shown that he's worth that. Uh, when he's healthy and when he's playing well, he's he's one of the driving forces behind this, this 49ers offensive line, and we know how important the offensive line is in San Francisco in this Kyle Shanahan offense, and really, Williams is the anchor on that side of the ball. So he's going to get our number two spot here. And the last offensive tackle for the NFC is going to be Andrew Whitworth. And Andrew Whitworth is really having a resurgence as a 40-year-old offensive lineman in this L.A. offense. And really, he's he's done an absolutely superb job of keeping Stafford's blindside untouched. And the fact that he's doing it at 40 is just something that I don't know if anybody will ever understand. I mean, this guy, most people when they're 40 years old can hardly get out of bed without moaning and groaning and creaking. And this guy's out here handling some of the best athletic pass rushers in the history of the league. Uh, so I, I think that's a true a true hat tip, and I really think he's deserving of this spot. Flipping it over to the AFC side of things, the first tackle that I wanted to make sure I got on the list here was going to be Colton Excuse me, Colton Miller for the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, he signed a big deal this offseason. Uh, he's really shown that he's he's truly elite in his pass protection. And I really think that he's he should be rewarded with a Pro Bowl berth this season. He's one of the lone bright spots on that Las Vegas offensive line. And I, I definitely think he's deserving of his of, of Pro Bowl selection here from this year. The next selection I'm going to roll with is going to be Isaiah Wynn. It's going to be the New England's Patriots offensive tackle. Uh, Isaiah Wynn's a little bit undersized normally for an offensive tackle. But I think when you take a look at it, there's a lot of guys on this this New England offensive line that are deserving of it. I wanted to make sure we got a couple of them on here. And he's going to be the first one just because of how they're able to keep Mac Jones upright and really carve lanes for both of these running backs and Damian, Lou, excuse me, Damian Harris and <laughs> uh, Ramondre Stevenson. So Isaiah Wynn gets a nod for us on the offensive tackle spot. And the last offensive tackle I decided to go with is going to be for the Cleveland Browns. And it's going to be Jedrick Wills. Uh, Jedrick Wills, first-round selection, not from this past draft, but the year before. Uh, he's really shown that he's he's earned his spot on this this Cleveland offensive line. That's one of the best in the in the league. 
I know uh, Baker's been beat up a little bit this year, but I don't necessarily think that's always his fault. So I'm rolling with Jedrick Wills. I think he's one of the best young tackles in the league, and I think he's deserving of this spot as well, too. So for interior offensive line, we're going to do guards first. That's how they're breaking it out here. And we're going to start on the NFC side of things because that's the first guy I see here. And uh, the first guy I see for the NFC side of things is going to be Zach Martin. Zach Martin is going to be a perennial pro bowler, all pro type of guy. He's really been the rock on this offensive line for this Dallas Cowboys team. Even with Tyron Smith, you know, coming in and out of the lineup, he's the lone bright spot time in and time out. And he's one of the best offensive guards of this decade, if not this generation, uh, if it wasn't for another guy that's going to be later on this list here. So Zach Martin getting that first spot for the NFC. Next up is going to be Brandon Scherf. Uh, He's going to be the offensive guard for the Washington football team. Once again, this is a guy that got franchise tagged in the the offseason. So this is for a second time, that is, too. He's getting paid right around $18 million a year, which is absolutely bananas numbers for an offensive guard. So that just goes to show you what his value is. And he's really the lone bright spot on this Washington football team offensive line. Uh, Other than maybe Sam Cosby, who looked good in the preseason, uh, I think he's hands down the best they got, and he's one of the best offensive guards in this league. So Brand Scherf gets a second spot. Third spot for guards on our ballot is going to be Connor Williams. And Connor Williams, uh, coming out of Texas, I believe he's a second-round pick, has really been up and down at the beginning of his career, but he's really come around this year. And this this Cowboys offensive line is – heading off one of the best offensive attacks in all of football. As you can see, we had Dak and Zeke earlier in our countdown here, or excuse me, our countdown, our ballot. And Connor Williams and Zach Martin both getting a nod on this is a true testament to how good this offensive line is. Uh, They're not backing down from anybody. They do a good job chipping inside. They do a good job climbing. And I really like what they bring as an offensive guard tandem. So I think they're both deserving of a spot here as well, too. So Connor Williams gets our last spot for the NFC. So we're flipping over to the AFC side of things. And the first guard I wanted to select in the AFC side of things is I think the next two guys I'm going to say are the two best guards in all of football. And the first one's going to be Quentin Nelson. Quentin Nelson is a generational prospect at offensive guard. Like I was mentioning, Zach Martin might might have been the best one for the last 15, 20 years if it wasn't for this guy right here. Quentin Nelson is a true game changer on the interior offensive line. And I almost want to say that he could he could be a game changer anywhere he plays along the offensive line. But they feel very comfortable with him at guard. And why not? Because the guy just takes anybody that he lines up against and manhandles them. So Quentin Nelson, number one guard spot for the AFC. And really not that far behind him is the second place guy here. And it's going to be Wyatt Teller, the offensive guard for the Cleveland Browns. And this guy is a true grinder on the inside of the offensive line. He is constantly making physical contact with defensive linemen and linebackers and letting his presence be known. And Wyatt Teller is 100% deserving of this spot. I honestly think he's the best offensive lineman on that Cleveland Browns team. And when you take a look at the guys they got along that offensive front, that's an impressive and that's a really true testament to how good this guy is at football. So Wyatt Teller getting the number two spot. And that leaves us with the last spot. And I went with Shaq Mason, uh, guard for the New England Patriots. And like we said, uh, 
this New England Patriots team is definitely deserving of multiple guys being on this offensive line. And I, I, I saw an opportunity to get a guy in here. And Shaq Mason has really been a godsend for them on the interior, uh, bringing some stability. He's been there for a few years. And really, I think he's one of the, the another one of these guys that is a really big part of why they're able to move guys on the interior and really assert themselves as a run-dominant team. So that's why I wanted to make sure we got this other guy on the list here too. So Shaq Mason, number three offensive guard in the AFC. And that's going to bring us to the last position for the offense, and it's going to be the centers. So the centers, they want us to pick three here, which I kind of thought was a lot, but we rolled with it anyway. So we're going to start on the AFC side of the ball. And the first center I wanted to select, and I actually did a piece on this guy last week, for our last podcast, and it's going to be Corey Lindsley. Corey Lindsley is consistently, year in and year out, been the most consistent, if not the most dominant center in all of NFL football. And he just basically rolled that right over into, excuse me, the Los Angeles Chargers organization coming from over from Green Bay. So really, Corey Lindsley, in my opinion, is the best center in football since he's shown that he's been an extremely dominant player for multiple years now. The second center I ended up selecting is might be a little bit of a surprise here, but he's going to be a rookie. It's going to be Creed Humphrey. Uh, I know I've seen a stat from PFF recently that he's graded out as probably the best center in all of football. I think it was like a 90.4 like grade or something like that, which is extremely impressive for any player, let alone a rookie. So I think that's good enough to get Creed Humphrey some serious recognition here on our list. And he comes in as our number two center. And that's going to leave us with the last AFC center. And that's going to be Ryan Kelly, the center for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, once again, this Colts team is one of the best run running teams in the NFL. And I really think that they deserve to have multiple players on this list, which is why I wanted to make sure that I got Ryan Kelly on here. Uh, once again, they are the leading rushing attack here with Jonathan Taylor leading the NFL. And Ryan Kelly is one of the key pieces in that offensive line that's making it happen. So number three on our list, Ryan Kelly, Indianapolis Colts center. Flipping over to the NFC side of things, the first guy that I have listed here is going to be Rodney Hudson, uh, the Arizona Cardinals center. Excuse me, Arizona Cardinals center. And really... This is another dude that is an absolute baller on that side of the ball. And they've been able to keep Kyler Murray up upright for most of the year uh, until he went down with this sprained ankle injury. Now they've been able to keep Colt McCoy upright. And really, this is one of the weaker spots along their offensive line. When they trade for him in the offseason, he was already one of the best centers in the league coming over from Las Vegas. And he's just really kind of continued on being one of the best guys in the league. So he's going to get our number one nod for the NFC. Then the second guy for the NFC is going to be Eric McCoy, center for the New Orleans Saints. Once again, this New Orleans Saints offensive line, one of the top units in the entire league. So I definitely think they deserve some recognition of multiple guys in the front here. So that's why I went with Eric McCoy. He's going to get that number two spot for center in the NFC. And last but not least, the last center for the NFC is going to be Jason Kelsey, center for the Philadelphia Eagles. And really... He's been one of the most reliable centers of the last decade here. Uh, his brother actually made the list earlier here with Travis Kelsey. But Jason Kelsey has really 
the rock along this Philadelphia Eagles offensive line. I know Lane Johnson had missed some time earlier in the year due to some mental health issues that he's seems like he's been coming back from as of late. But really the guy that you turn to that is the vocal leader and the the tone setter along this offensive line is going to be Jason Kelsey, and he's really been a rock for the last decade. So I, I think he's worth the recognition here, and I think we're going to make sure we get the guy one more Pro Bowl berth here before he's going to hang it up for good. So that's going to be the offensive starters that we're submitting on our ballot. Uh, let's throw it to a quick break here before we come back and do the defensive side of things. So getting back to things here for the Pro Bowl selections, uh, on the defensive side of things, it's going to get a little bit odd, just mainly because of how they divided the positions up here. So if you think we missed a guy, just stay tuned for a little bit longer. He might end up somewhere else on the list here, especially with some of these front guys. So starting off, they use the defensive end as a positional, I guess, selection here. And we're going to do three on each side, uh, AFC and NFC. So we'll start with the AFC because the first guy I got on the list here was a pretty easy selection for me, and it's going to be Miles Garrett. He's actually the league leader in sacks right now uh, with 13, and he's easily the most big-time disruptor in the NFL when it comes to pass rushing ability. So he was hands down a, a selection for me on the AFC side of things. The next selection I went with, Oh, excuse me, is going to be Trey Hendrickson. Trey Hendrickson was a big free agent signing for the Cincinnati Bengals, currently sitting at nine and a half sacks, two forced fumbles, and really another guy that's really made his presence known and helped change that Cincinnati defensive front for the better. So Trey Hendrickson gets the second spot. And the last guy I went with on the AFC side of things is going to be Max Crosby. Uh, he's consistently one of the, the highest uh, graded defenders due to his, his, his ability to affect and pressure the quarterback. Uh, I know he's only got five sacks, but I, I believe his pressure numbers are even higher than that. And he's really having a big-time uh, comeback season here for the Raiders and one of the bigger reasons why we've seen that front play a lot better and see them uh, play a lot closer to 500 or over 500 football for most of the year. So taking it back to the NFC, the first guy that we're going to select here is going to be Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa's having one of the best seasons he's ever had. Uh, I know he's only been in the league for two, three years here. And honestly, this season might be better than his rookie one where he ended up winning, uh, I believe it was Pro Bowl honors and rookie of the year. So he's sitting at 10 sacks, two forced fumbles. And he's really, honestly, easily the best player on that 49ers defense, in my opinion. Next up for defensive ends in the NFC is going to be Brian Burns. And Brian Burns uh, has really been coming on the last couple of years here. He was he came into the league more as a develop, develop, excuse me, developmental type of guy, real slender frame, real lanky type of guy that was really big-time athlete. And he's kind of filled out. He's, he's really been an impact defender for the Carolina Panthers the last couple of years. And sitting at seven sacks with an improved defense with that Carolina defense, I think he's definitely well worth a Pro Bowl nod here, especially when you take a look at the rest of this defensive end list. So Brian Burns is going to end up as our number two defensive end on our ballot. And the last one is the one I, I, I struggled with just because uh, if you fill out the ballot, you'll see why the, the, the NFC defensive ends get really thin after the first few guys and there's just a couple guys I didn't really think that were deserving of the nod, but the guy I ended up landing on is going to be Cameron Jordan. Uh, Cameron Jordan has been year in, year out, one of those guys that 
everybody recognizes. He draws the double team on that defense and really frees up Marcus Davenport to do some great things on the other side. And honestly, I just I couldn't pick Davenport over him just because I know the effect that doesn't show up in the stat sheet for guys like Cam Jordan. And I really think that needs to come into play here for a guy of his stature. So he get, he's going to end up being our third defensive end selected for the NFC. That's going to take us into the interior defensive tackles. And the first defensive tackle for the AFC, we'll start on that side, is going to be Chris Jones. Chris Jones uh, is one of the, the most versatile defensive linemen in the league. They played him a ton at like edge defender, a defensive end. And they, I think he's best at or at his best when they, they kick him down inside and they let him be an interior pass rusher, get some of those uh, interior offensive lineman matchups where he can be a little bit more athletic than them. He's currently sitting at six and a half sacks, one forced fumble, and he's really been coming on as of late more than he has at the beginning of the year since they've been able to move him across the formation a little bit more. So Chris Jones, number one D tackle, in my opinion, for the AFC. Next up on the list is going to be a guy that's really making it a hard case for Chris Jones. It's going to be Jeffrey Simmons. Uh, this is a guy that was a first-round draft pick a few years back, ended up redshirting a year while he recovered from a serious knee injury, and really is a huge big-time difference of why this Titans defense is a whole nother beast the last you know three, four, five weeks when they've really been on this, this big-time win streak other than the Houston game. I really think he makes his presence known as an interior rusher and is really able to to get a, a big time push on the inside of the formations. And like I said, he's maybe the number one reason other than maybe Harold Landry, why this Titans defense has been turned around. So Jeffrey Simmons is going to get that number two spot for us in the de- defensive tackle category. And the last guy from the AFC I wanted to mention is going to be DeForest Buckner. DeForest Buckner was a huge trade asset that the, the Indianapolis Colts got back uh, before last season. And really, he's been a godsend for their defense. He gives them a, a huge identity right in the middle of that defense that's able to get some push on the pocket and really been able to affect uh, pass pocket, excuse me, pass drops and flush guys out of the pocket and make that defense a little bit more diverse and uh, complicated for teams to figure out. And it's made everybody on that defense look better. And like I said, another one of them guys that might not always show up in the stat sheet, but four and a half sacks for a guy that's playing off the interior, that's big time. So DeForest Buckner, you're going to get our third spot on our ballot. Flipping over to the NFC side of things, and when I'm taking a look here a little bit closer, the, the defensive tackle group might be the, the deepest in the entire ballot. So make sure you take a close look at it when you're filling it out. But obviously the number one guy we're going to on this side of the ball is Aaron Donald. He might be the best defensive player to step on a football field in maybe 50 years in the NFL, uh, this guy is truly, in, in all honest to God goodness, the best defensive tackle we might have seen or will see for another 50 years. And there's no reason why he can't win defensive player of the year again here. And really, he's got my vote. Uh, the number one defensive tackle, Aaron Donald for the NFC. The next guy I have on the list here might be an unpopular opinion. And you might be saying that I got my fan hat on, but I'm going Kenny Clark uh, for defense tackle. This guy is consistently one of the highest graded players by the PFF uh, Pro Football Focus year in and year out. And I don't think he gets the recognition he deserves. He's a huge reason why teams, when they run the ball against the Green Bay Packers and it doesn't work, 
it's mainly because of this guy right here. He is affecting teams big time. They can't run it at him. They got to double team him. He's getting pushed on the pocket. I know he's only got three sacks, but like I said, he's another one of them guys that it's not showing up on the stat sheet. Watch the football game. Watch this guy collapse pockets. Watch him eat running backs for breakfast. This guy's got what it takes, and he's definitely deserving of a Pro Bowl bid at this point in his career. And the last defensive tackle I'm selecting for the NFC is going to be Jonathan Allen. Jonathan Allen was a first-round pick for the Washington football team out of Alabama. Uh, he's been part of this vaunted uh, front seven that they contains all these big-name guys. And really, he's one of the more standout guys. Him and Deron Payne have both been on an absolute tear for this defense as of late. But Jonathan Allen's going to be the guy that gets the nod, in my opinion. Sitting at six sacks, he's got the production to match. Uh, the effect that you see that doesn't show up in the stat sheet. So Jonathan Allen going to get our third defense tackle spot. That's going to carry us over into linebackers. So we're going to start as inside linebackers, and then we're going to go to outside linebackers. So like I said, if if, you, if your guy didn't show up in the defensive end list, he's most likely going to end up on that offensive, or excuse me, outside linebacker list. So inside linebackers first, and the number one guy, for the NFC, in my opinion, is going to be Devondre Campbell. This guy other is is the biggest difference maker that this defense has done uh, in the past year. When you look at it, what is different about this defense other than the defensive coordinator? And this guy's the answer right here. This guy has been a sideline-to-sideline tackler. He's been great in coverage. He's a great blitzer. If you watched the game last Sunday against Kirk Cousins, this guy's coming free multiple times. And he, he's truly the leader of this defense. I think he is the number one difference between last year and this year that's really helped improve this Green Bay Packers defense. And then we're going to flip it over to the next linebacker on the list. And this was another guy that I thought was a pretty easy selection. He's was signed a huge deal this offseason, made him the second highest paid linebacker in the league. It's going to be Fred Warner. Uh, Fred Warner has shown that he has the ability to be one of the most diverse in a flexible defenders in the entire league able to play in the box against the run game run with tight ends down the seam uh, drop at his own drops and coverage I, I just love what Fred Warner can do all over the field and he's definitely worth a Pro Bowl selection every year that he's healthy so Fred Warner number two linebacker and this is where things are gonna get a little weird because the third guy I selected here is I don't really consider him an inside linebacker but this is where they have him listed, so i got to make sure I get him on the list. And it's going to be Micah Parsons, the, the rookie for the Dallas Cowboys. He's currently sitting at eight and a half sacks and two forced fumbles with 44 solo tackles. And this guy like is their like, jack-of-all-trades on their defense. He, I mean, the guy could line up at off-ball linebacker, and he's not always his best in coverage, but he'll play the run like nobody you've ever seen as an off-ball linebacker. Then scratch that to the next week when they have a couple edge defenders go down. This guy drops and puts his hand in the dirt and he rushes the passer. He's got eight and a half sacks. He's doing it at a high clip. This guy's a rookie and he's playing like a seasoned vet going all over the formation. Like some kind of cross between Julius Peppers and Bobby Wagner. I mean, this guy is absolutely unbelievable. And in my opinion, deserves to be defensive rookie of the year and be at the Pro Bowl this year. So that's why I had to make sure I got him on my ballot. Micah Parsons third inside linebacker for the NFC. Flipping it over to the AFC side of things, the first guy that I wanted to make sure I got on the list here, another guy that signed a big deal this offseason, Darius Leonard. Uh, he's the heart and soul of this Indianapolis Colts defense, playing alongside DeForest Buckner, and he's currently sitting at four force fumbles with 33 solo tackles. 
And once again, he's he's another one of them guys that's one of the most versatile defenders. And he's really one of the guys that's changing, along with Fred Warner, how the, the position of linebackers being played and their ability to be coverage defenders and not just guys that you line up in the box and tell them to ram into offensive linemen. So Darius Leonard, for being game changer, leader of that Colts defense that's one of the top units in the league, gets our number one linebacker spot. The next guy on the list here is uh, another one of the guys that I'm not sure why his stats aren't showing up that well, but when I watch him play, I think he's one of the best defenders in the league, especially when he's playing his best football, and it's going to be Tremaine Edmonds. Tremaine Edmonds is an absolute athletic freak at an offensive line, or he's going to be an off-ball linebacker, and he's I think he's listed at like 6'4", and the guy runs like a 4'5". Uh, runs like an absolute deer on the football field, and he's not afraid to lay the wood on guys. I think he's one of the best inside linebackers in the league when he's healthy, and I definitely wanted to make sure I got him on my ballot. So Tremaine Edmonds, number two inside linebacker. And the last guy is a little bit of a hot take here, and it was it was tough to find the last guy for our list here for the AFC. But I went with a Logan Wilson inside linebacker for instance for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the pod, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals defense is an entirely different beast than it has been in years past. And I really think Logan Wilson being the the signal caller on that side of the ball has been a huge difference. Uh, he's a little bit more of a better in coverage than he is as a pass rusher, but I I really think he he can do it all, and he's really shown his value to this Bengals defense. So I wanted to make sure I got him on the list here, and at this third spot was the perfect spot. So Logan Wilson, third linebacker for the AFC. All right, so in the front seven, we're going to finish that up. It's going to be outside linebackers. And we're going to lead off with the AFC guys because the AFC guys were the three easiest ones I had to pick on this list. The first guy I selected is going to be TJ Watt. He's currently a half a sack behind Miles Garrett for the league lead. And he's honestly maybe Miles Garrett's number one competition for defensive player of the year, him and Aaron Donald. Uh, 12 and a half sacks, three forced fumbles, 25 solo tackles. This guy's making his presence felt all over the football field. And he's really shown that He's an unblockable force on that Pittsburgh defense. Uh, he he really sets them up for a lot of great pose- possession. Excuse me, sets them up in a lot of great positions, and is really the main reason as well that why they're a top five unit in the league. So T.J. Watt, our number one offensive line, or excuse me, I keep saying offensive linebacker, outside linebacker. Next up, and it's not a close. It's not. Too far behind T.J. Watt, but this guy has been an absolute godsend for his defense, and it's going to be Matthew Judon. Uh, Matthew Judon coming over from the Baltimore Ravens to the New England Patriots. In his first year, he's recorded 10.5 sacks for them guys, and really when you turn on the, the game, it's it's hard not to notice him playing football because he's all over the field on defense. Uh, they paid him a ton of money this offseason. A lot of people were kind of curious if he could have the same production outside of Baltimore and he's already eclipsed his best year in Baltimore in, in only 10 games for the New England Patriots. So I think it's safe to say that that was a great signing and honestly one of my favorite ones from the offseason. And the third final uh, outside linebacker for the AFC is a guy I mentioned earlier in the pod. It's going to be Harold Landry. Uh, Harold Landry really having a breakout season this year. He has 10 sacks and one forced fumble with 35 solo tackles. And pairing him up with Jeffrey Simmons, kind of taking some of the heat off him up front, has been big time. And now that they're both healthy and that they're both getting after it since they had some injury woes earlier in their careers, it's really showing what this Tennessee defense can be. 
uh, and shows that they've really been missing this pass rush in the last few years here. Being able to affect the passer has done wonders for this Tennessee defense. As the last couple of years, they were one of the bottom units in the league. And now you see them going toe-to-toe with some of the best teams in the league and really holding them to low outputs and low numbers. So I think that's a true testament to this pass rush. Is it's kind of been the backbone of that Tennessee defense. And Harold Landry's really making his presence known and finally bursting onto the scene. So he's going to get our third outside linebacker spot. Flipping over to the NFC, uh, this also, in my opinion, was pretty cut and dry. And the, the first guy I wanted to make sure I got on the list here is going to be Chandler Jones. Uh, Chandler Jones missed the entire year last year with, a, I believe it was an Achilles injury. And nobody really knows, however, a guy is going to come back from that. And he responded by having eight sacks this year. And really, or eight sacks with three forced fumbles. And really, he's a guy that, when you look at it, he's he's the guy that's drawn the double team on every single play. And it's really been able to free up a guy like Marcus Golden, who's got 10 sacks himself, to be a, a factor on this defense. So I think it's it's extremely impressive that he's got eight sacks, three forced fumbles on the year to go along with the fact that he's he's getting absolutely mauled mostly every play, but still is one of the most consistent reasons why this Arizona defense is back up at being one of the top 10 units in the league. So Chandler Jones gets the first nod for for me. The second outside linebacker I'm selecting is going to be Robert Quinn. And I always I always get a kick out of it when Chris Long says on his pod, the, this, the honorary St. Louis Rams award, the guy that's balling in obscurity. So the guy that's getting, getting after it and nobody's really noticing it. But Robert Quinn's having an absolutely phenomenal year for a guy that's over the age of 30. And he's having 10 sacks along with two forced fumbles. And really, he's been filling in for Khalil Mack, who's missed most of the year with injury. And actually, I believe he's sitting down for the rest of the year. So Robert Quinn, uh, hats off to this guy, doing it at a, at a ripe old age, and he's doing it well. Our number two outside linebacker on this ballot. The out, last outside linebacker that we're going to get in here is going to be Hassan Reddick. And Hassan Reddick really was... A guy that was out of place in Arizona, didn't really know how to play the guy, uh, really struggled to get playing time at the beginning of his career. Then they flipped him to outside backer, and yeah, I think he finished just shy of 10 sacks last year, and he's burst onto the scene playing for his former coach and Matt Rule, uh, currently with 10.5 sacks, two forced fumbles. And once again, another guy that's playing opposite, Brian Burns. That's really freeing up and giving him a ton of opportunities to get after the passer. And he's really been able to capitalize and be a difference maker on this defense. So Hassan Reddick, number three outside linebacker. And just bear with me here. We're, we're, we're battling through it. We're, we're at the corners now. And the corners, we're going to start off with the NFC because that's the first guy on our list here. And I know this is, might be a hot take because I know this guy gives up a ton of yardage. But Trayvon Diggs is going to be the number one corner in my opinion. And really, the reason I'm going to go this route is he's got eight interceptions, which, I mean, the guy's got to be on pace for most interceptions in NFL history. And the way that the NFL is leading nowadays, being able to get takeaways is one of the most important things in the NFL. Those are possessions you're stealing away from the other team. And this guy's done it eight times. Eight times. So Trayvon Diggs, number one cornerback in the NFL, at right now on my ballot at least next up for the nfc 
I'm going Jalen Ramsey. This is the guy that's probably the best cornerback in the NFL. His ability to just shut receivers down. And you can't get interceptions if guys aren't getting the ball thrown their way. And they're just not doing it because Jalen Ramsey's really good at football. And really, he's going to be the number two guy on my ballot here. Just because uh, the production isn't there like Trayvon Diggs has. But just because it's not there, it doesn't mean he's not doing his job. And Jalen Ramsey is the the number one uh, poster child for guys that just shut guys down and don't get the ball thrown at them. So Jalen Ramsey, number two cornerback on the ballot. And the last cornerback that I included on my list here in the NFC is going to be A.J. Terrell. And uh, A.J. Terrell is actually having a huge breakout season. Uh, I know he doesn't have a ton of production. He's only got one interception on the year. But his numbers when they're thrown at him are just bonkers low. Like, guys are not completing passes on this guy. And he's really showing that he was really worth that first-round pick. I know a lot of people kind of cocked their head at the selection when the Falcons made it at like, I believe he was like 16 overall a couple years back, but he's really been proving them right. Uh, I believe I seen like a stat that he's, they're below like 60 or their pass ratings below 60 when opposing quarterbacks are targeting him. And that's a really impressive number. So AJ Terrell gets uh, the number three NFC cornerback spot on my list. Flipping back over to the AFC, the AFC wasn't quite as loaded as the NFC was, so it was a little bit tougher to make the selection, but the first one was easy. And the same reason I went with Trayvon Diggs as the number one corner is the same reason this guy's getting the number one AFC corner. This could be J.C. Jackson. J.C. Jackson's got six picks for the New England Patriots on the year, and this is another dude that's a ball hawk. I think he's got like, he's got to have like a close to 20 career interceptions. And that's a really impressive for a guy. I believe he was undrafted coming out of college. And he's really made a huge name for himself on this New England defense. And this is a guy that's going to be earning himself a huge payday. As he's year in and year out, like I just mentioned, gotten just huge interception numbers. So J.C. Jackson, number one corner in the AFC on the ballot. Uh, next up is going to be Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward, two interceptions on the year, half a sack, 20 solo tackles. Uh, this Cleveland defense, excuse me, this Cleveland defense has really struggled at times this year, but Denzel Ward hasn't been the reason for that struggle. Uh, I believe he ended up having a pick six in a couple games, or a couple games back, and really has been able to shut down opposing teams' number one wide receivers. And he's, I believe he's a top five selection a few years back, and he's really shown that he's he's worth that selection, and he's been really the rock in this secondary as they've kind of been dealing with some beat up guys and Greg Newsom coming in and being a rookie, trying to fill in for guys like Greedy Williams and uh excuse me. I'm just blanking on the his last name's Hill for them, I guess, as well too. But um uh, he's been one of the most rock solid guys in that secondary, and that's why I'm gonna make sure I get him on my list here as the number two corner. And the last guy I went with uh, for an AFC cornerback it's going to be Legereus Sneed, and I know a lot of people are going to dog me for having a few Kansas City defenders here on my list, but they've looked really good as of late, and Legereus Sneed is their, their best corner. He's their shutdown guy, and he's got two interceptions on the year, forced fumble and a sack with 46 solo tackles, and really I think he's a lot better. He's, I think he's head and shoulders above Jarvarius Ward and anybody else that that Kansas City defense is going to try to walk out there. Uh, so I, I think that the fact that they've been able to kind of flip the season around since about five weeks ago is a true testament to this secondary. Is I think that th they start to improve week over week, and he's 
like I mentioned for Denzel Ward, he's he's the Legarius Sneed is the rock in that that secondary, other than maybe Tyron Matthew. So Legarius Sneed, number three corner for us in the AFC. For safeties, they're gonna break it out in the free safeties and strong safeties, and how how they kind of decide who's who, I'm not exactly sure. But we're gonna start off with the strong safeties, and the first guy I got on my list, and it's gonna be AFC side of things. It's going to be Jordan Poyer, and Jordan Poyer uh, really having an astounding season. The guy's got four interceptions and one sack, and really he's part of probably the best safety tandem in the entire league with him and Micah Hyde, but I definitely think that he's the, he's the leader in that pack. He's the leader of the clubhouse there. He's uh, the, the guy that's played much better than his counterpart at this point, which is saying a lot because Micah Hyde, is when he's at his peak of his powers, is a top 10 guy as well. But Jordan Poyer really making a name for himself and proving that he might be the best safety in the league. So he's going to be our number one pick for the AFC. And then flipping over, the second pick for the AFC is a guy that we mentioned just a few minutes ago is going to be Tyron Matthew. Tyron Matthew is really the jackknife in this Kansas City defense. Uh, there's going to be plays where this they're sending him at the pass, or excuse me, at the quarterback as a pass rusher on a blitz. And there's going to be times that you're asking him to man up on uh, slot receivers. There's going to be times that you're asking him to play deep half. Uh, he can really do it all. And I really think that he is the key. He's the he's the the jack of all trades for this Kansas City defense. He's the guy that's the versatile chess piece that is really going to make a difference when you get into the playoffs. Uh, I mentioned the Jerry Steed's the rock. This He's the guy that locks everything down. This is the guy that is just all over the place. If I had to compare him to anything, it's, it's a feather blowing in the wind. This guy's all over. He's uh, moves really easy. And honestly, I think he's the most important person on that defense. So Tyron Matthew, number two safety, or strong safety in the AFC. The last safety that we picked for the AFC, and this is a tough one. I didn't know where to go with this one, but I ended up going with Kareem Jackson, a strong safety for the Denver Broncos. Uh, he's been year in and year out a, a very steady piece of that defense. And really, in my opinion, this Denver defense is one of the best units in the league when they're playing at the peak of their power. So I, that's why I wanted to make sure I got a couple of their guys on this list as well. So Kareem Jackson, the number three strong safety in the AFC. Flipping over to the NFC side of things for strong safeties, the first guy that we got on our list is going to be Buda Baker. And uh, Buda Baker is really the Tyron Matthew of the Arizona Cardinals defense. He's really a jack of all trades. Uh, again, here, he's a guy that can play the deep half. He's a guy you can play in the slot. He's a guy that can blitz the passer and really can, can lay the boom on dudes as, as well, too, uh, especially for being an undersized type of player. So I really like Buda Baker, and I really think he's deserving of this first safety spot for the strong safeties in the NFC. Bringing in the number two spot for us on the strong safety side of the ball is going to be Harrison Smith. And Harrison Smith has long been a key piece of this Minnesota Vikings defense. He's really calling everything on the back end there. And the, the former Notre Dame Irish signal caller as well is really showing that He's a, a versatile blitzer. He's a versatile box player. He's a versatile coverage guy on the back end. He can really do all, do everything in a different way than some of these other guys. Like like I said, uh, Buda Baker and these Tyron Matthew types, you can line them up in the slot and play man coverage. This is a guy that you can line up as a linebacker in the box and play the run, but at the same time drop him into deep coverage. So 
like I said, versatility, but in a different way. I definitely think he's deserving of this spot. Harrison Smith, number two. And the number three guy, the pickings got very slim at strong safety for the NFC. So I went with Jordan Whitehead, uh, strong safety for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I love this dude's physicality. I, I always remember back to his play in the, in the Super Bowl where he's hitting dudes so hard that he's taking himself out of the game. Uh, guy's hurting himself, laying the boom with his shoulders. And really, this is the way this guy plays with his hair on fire. So I really like that in my safeties. I really like the ability to be a physical presence in the run game, but also drop back in coverage, which Whitehead's got been able to to show that and really been one of the, the mainstays in this secondary this year with a lot of injuries devastating him. So Jordan Whitehead gets the last strong safety spot. All right, and then for free safety, we're going to flip back over to the AFC. So the first free safety that we have on our list for the AFC is going to be Kevin Biard, uh, safety for the Tennessee Titans. And really the benefactor of a lot of those uh, pressure plays that we were referring to earlier, Kevin Biard's got five interceptions and one forced fumble with 26 solo tackles on the year. And really he's calling things on that back end. Uh, I know they haven't looked that great in their secondary for most of the year until their their defense started playing at a high level. But he's been one of the most consistent pieces on that defense for the last five, six years. Uh, I believe he's been a, a former Pro Bowl selection and definitely showing that he's worth it again this year. So Kevin Biard, the first safety selection for the AFC. The second AFC selection is going to be, for me, Derwin James. And Derwin James is one of the most versatile players in the NFL. He's a guy, like I mentioned with Harrison Smith, but just even better and more versatile. This is a guy that can man up in the slot even, but also play like some in-the-box linebacker or drop back in coverage or run with tight ends. Uh, he really shows he's able to do it all, having a bunch of oh, excuse me, having a bunch of tackles on the year, and also having an interception to go along with three forced fumbles and one and a half sacks. So Derwin James, one of the most versatile players in the NFL, gets our number two free safety spot in the AFC. And our third and final AFC safety is going to be Justin Simmons. Uh, like I said before, we got Kareem Jackson on the list, and Justin Simmons is one of the best young safeties in the league. Uh, he's been, I, I believe, first-team All-Pro the last couple years here, and he's on the tear for another year here where showing that he's he's definitely worth every penny they paid him this offseason. So I wanted to make sure we included Justin Simmons on this list as well too. Bringing it back to the NFC for the the free safety position, and the first guy that I made sure I selected was going to be Xavier McKinney. And I remember Xavier McKinney coming out a couple of years back. Everybody said that he was this this nice, steady uh, piece of a defense, not going to be outstanding and flashy, but going to be very consistent. And he's been anything but that. He's been flashy. He's shown that he's great at football. I believe he's got a pick six on the year to go along with four interceptions. 33 solo tackles, and he's one of the lone bright spots on this New York Giants defense. Definitely worth uh, the first selection on our ballot here, uh, Xavier McKinney. The next free safety that I'm going to put on my list here for the NFC is going to be Adrian Amos, and Adrian Amos is having an absolutely outstanding year. Uh, Like I said, this Green Bay Packers defense has been seriously improved, and a big part of it is going to be Adrian Amos on the back end here. Uh, him and his running mate, Darnell Savage, make one of the best duos in the league. But I definitely think Adrian Amos coming over from the Chicago Bears a couple years back has been a huge difference maker on that side of the ball. 
uh, you can basically drop him in a deep half and just not worry about who's going over that way. One of the smartest football players on the field at all times, Adrian Amos, just looks lights out again this year. So he's going to get the number two spot for me on the ballot. And the last free safety for the NFC is going to be Marcus Williams. And Marcus Williams got franchise tagged by the Saints this offseason. Shows his worth here as he he plays very stout on the back end. And he's going to have two interceptions, a forced fumble. Someone's going to pay this guy this offseason. He's shown that he's definitely worth the money and that the Minnesota miracle was just something that's going to be in the rearview mirror for the rest of his career. Uh, I, I think this guy is one of the ascending talents at safety. And I definitely think he's worth the the third selection on our Pro Bowl ballot. So Marcus Williams, third free safety. And then the last thing that we're going to end up doing here is going to be kickers and punters, mainly because I'm running out of breath. But <laughs> uh, the kickers and punters, they gave us three for AFC and NFC. So kickers, uh, most of the stuff is going to be stat-based, guys, just because I think it's very easy to grade these positions in the NFL. So for the kickers in the AFC, it was much easier. I ended up going with Justin Tucker as our first selection. Not much to say here. The guy's got the NFL record for the longest field goal ever made, and he very consistently misses few field goals. So Justin Tucker, number one kicker in the AFC. Second selection was going to be Chris Boswell. Chris Boswell's only missed one field goal on the year. So he's 21 for 22. His long is 56, and he hasn't had any blocked either. So I think Big Ben isn't scoring a ton of touchdowns anymore. So they've had to rely on Chris Boswell a lot. He's really came clutch in a lot of situations. So he's going to be our number two kicker. And the last guy on the list here is going to be Nick Folk for the AFC. It's going to be 26 to 28 on field goals on the year. I believe he's got the most made field goals in the NFL. And really another thing here is uh, with Mac Jones being the rookie uh, efficient passer, not always scoring all the touchdowns all the time. They've had to lean on the kickers a lot more, and Nick Folks really stepped up to the challenge. Like I said, he's only missed two field goals. His long's a 53, so not as long as he normally would like, but he makes up for it, making a ton of these, not missing, and really hitting on all of his opportunities. Flipping it over to the NFC side of things, the number one kicker that I went with here, once again, another stat-based thing here, is going to be Jake Elliott. Jake Elliott's 18 for 20 on the year. He's got a 58-yarder, which is very, very good, uh, when you don't got guys like Justin Tucker making 66 yarders, this, this looks pretty good normally. So I, I really like Jake Elliott's ability to be efficient and it lands him to his, the number one kicker spot on our list. Then the second kicker on our list is also going to be Matt Gay. Matt Gay is currently 18 for 19 for field goals. I believe he took over midway through the year for someone for the LA Rams. But really, when, when you're only missing one field goal out of all your attempts, I, I, I really like those numbers. I really like that ability to, to hit at a high clip. So Matt Gay is going to get the second spot for kickers on my list as well, too. And then the third and final spot for kickers is going to maybe be a little bit of shock compared to <laughs> what I had for the other guys here. It's going to be Matt Prater. Uh, he's 15 for 20, so he's not quite as efficient as the other guys. But once again, I, I like my kickers being able to hit these long shots. And this guy hit a 62-yarder. So I believe he was the former record holder before Justin Tucker. And the fact that the guy's still kicking 62-yarders, that's good enough to get on my list. So Matt Prater, number three field goal kicker. And then the last but not least, the punters. And the punters, I'm going to start off with the NFC. And really, uh, Michael Dixon's been the best punter in the league, hands down. And that's why he's going to be number one on our list. But 
once again, this would be highly stat-based. So we're going by how many punts they put inside the 20. And half of Michael Dixon's punts, he's had 54 total. 27 are landed inside the 20. He's got a 68 for a, a yarder for a long. So every one out of every two of these guys' punts is getting put in ideal range here. So I really like those numbers. I really like his ability to pin him deep. I'm going with Michael Dixon, number one. Number two, uh, we're looking at Mitch Wisnowski, and he's the punter for the San Francisco 49ers. And he's 16 for 32 for punts inside the 20. So 32 total attempts, 16 of them getting knocked inside the 20. He's got a 65-yard long, and he's averaging 46 yards every time he punts it. So Mitch Wisnowski, I really like his ability to pin him deep. He's going to land at number two on my list. And then the last NFC punter is going to be Bradley Pinion. And uh, Bradley Pinion has nailed 16 of his punts inside the 20 out of 33. So he's just shy of 50% of his punts landing inside the 20. Uh, once again, a guy that's averaging 43 yards per punt. He's got a 65-yard yard long. Uh, I really like his ability to, to hit, the, hit the snot out of the ball. And he's going to get our third punter spot here as well. Flipping it over to the AFC, and as I have almost no voice left, uh, the number one punter that I went with here is going to be Jake Bailey. I believe that's Jake Bailey. Yes. Uh, 18 of his punts have landed inside the 20 out of 33 total. So this guy is just crushing it at a rate that's over 50%, knocking it, leaving it deep in opponent territory. He's just shy of 50 yards per punt, which is definitely one of the best in the league as well. So... Jake Bailey landed at number one on my list. Next up is going to be the Kansas City Chiefs punter, and it's going to be Tommy Townsend, the, the long-haired machine for the, the Kansas City Chiefs. And he's got 15 of his punts landing inside the 20 out of 26 total, so they're not really punting it a lot. But when they're doing it, this guy is really knocking it in an opponent's territory. Uh, he's really swinging at it about almost 60%, getting most of his punts down there inside of important territory. His long's a 68-yarder, and he's averaging just below 50 yards a knock. So Tommy Townsend looking really good again this year, uh, getting our number two spot. And then really when we were getting down to the thick of it, I didn't know who I wanted to pick for the third punter. So I ended up just going with, uh, is it Colin Johnston, the punter? I don't even know this guy's name. I, that's slightly embarrassing. But uh, the punter for the Houston Texans, uh, currently, I believe he's got 55 punts. Yep, he's got 55 punts. He's knocking 25 of them inside the opposing team's 20. So that's just a hair below 50%. But that's good enough to get him on our list. So I'm going with... I apologize. It's Cameron Johnston. Cameron Johnston for the Houston Texans. There you go. That's... Showing you why we're not normally selecting uh, punters for Pro Bowl ballots. So I'm going to call it a day there. Uh, let us know your thoughts on our list. I know this is going to be extremely long-winded, but I wanted to make sure I got through it. I thought it was really cool last time I seen somebody do it. And I wanted to make sure I got my ballot out there. So let us know your thoughts on our AFC and NFC ballots. And uh, make sure you get out on NFL.com and vote for your guys's. Uh, favorite players to get on the NFL ballot as well to get some of them guys that are deserving not just the fan favorites into the game get some recognition for your guys that you believe deserve it
so that's going to be a wrap on this week's show. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the, the Pro Bowl ballot stuff. I, I always think that it's it's kind of uh, not really good practice anymore on how this stuff's getting voted for. So I really wanted to walk through some of the stuff, why I was voting for it, and really get the guys in there that I thought deserved it. So obviously my vote doesn't mean much, neither does any of the fan votes. But uh, it's always a fun practice to see who's the best in the league at each position. So let us know your thoughts on that. And also let us know your thoughts on some of our picks and storyline stuff. We always enjoy that. Make sure you hit subscribe and come back to us next week. We always got great stuff planned. So appreciate everybody tuning in and we'll see you next week.